Hello, and welcome to the First Baptist Hanford podcast. Our primary mission at FBH is to love God, love people, and serve the world. We hope that this weekly podcast will encourage you in your daily walk with Christ as we play for you our most recent sermon audio. Let's have a listen. For those of you who are new with us today, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we're just excited to, uh, to have you here. We are wrapping up our series uh, called Oikos, Be Intentional with Your 8 to 15. And Oikos, it's a Greek word. Uh, for those of you who are new with us, Oikos is a Greek word. It literally means household. And here at FBH, we believe that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed 8 to 15 people into our relational world, our quote-unquote household, uh, to impact for the kingdom of God. And so in some way, you are surrounded with 8 to 15 people in your life um, for you to be able to make that impact. Um, and, and if you're here for the first time or if you're here for the millionth time, you're, you're here on a great weekend. One, because um, uh, the, the band was incredible in leading us in worship and we get to open up the word of God together. But secondly, uh, we are really launching into our small group season uh, that Jeff talked briefly about. And so next week, you'll get an opportunity uh, to sign up for your small groups. Following week, if you're interested in serving in somewhere or in some location, uh, you'll have that opportunity um, as well. But today, like I said, we are, uh, we're wrapping up this series in Oikos. And, uh, and it's a great opportunity for us to look at the main way that the message of Jesus was spread throughout the New Testament. If you look at how the message of the gospel spread, it really is just from person to person, right? Mouth to ear. That's a weird way of saying it, but mouth to ear, Right? that this is how the gospel of Christ was spread, simply one person inviting another into the fold. And we, you know, just got a chance to listen to Kaysen and hear his story about uh, his grandpa Bob brought him to church and really was the one who kind of invited him in. Um, if you've been here uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've shared that it was really my parents. And then as I got older, kind of my youth pastor and a couple different influences in my life that really got me not just plugged into church, but to, to fall in love with the church um, overall. But, but everybody in here is a church because of what we would call our oikos. Somebody in your oikos, or you being in somebody else's oikos, rather. That's why you are sitting in church today, whether it's mom or dad who grabbed you by the nape of the neck and dragged you here uh, until you could choose to come on your own volition, right? Or it was somebody who was just willing enough to invite you in to church in general, or if you Googled this in some way and found somebody that you knew once you got here, right? You are sitting in church today because you were in somebody else's oikos, so the reason we do that is because we as a church are in the business of life change. We're not in the business of just uh, flash in the pan entertainment and, hey, you're going to have a good time on Sunday morning and then you can go home and live however you want the rest of the week. We're actually in the business of life change. And so today we get to talk about that a little bit because as a group, we need to understand what the point of church is, what the point of being here even is. Because for some of us, church is a place of learning, 
right? For some of us, uh, it's a place to commune with God. And so you come because you want to hear the music and you want to lift your hands, you want to praise God. And man, you got your church on today. And for those of you who are here, because you're like, you know what? I just, I just want to learn some stuff. Man, I hope I live up to that in some way today that you can walk out saying, yep, I didn't know that. And I can take that with me from today. Man, for others of us, it's a place of tradition. It's a place that you know that things, uh, when you come here, your parents brought you here in some way. Maybe you're here at Easter normally or Christmas, and that's why you come to church on a, on a semi-regular basis. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is that you personally walk into church. But for me, as I was growing up, church was kind of just something we did, right? Something I did, rather. My parents had a real relationship with Jesus. But for me, growing up, it was just something that I did. Like I knew that my parents were going to wake me up on Sunday morning. Let's be real. When I was younger, I was going to wake my parents up on Sunday morning because I wanted to watch cartoons or whatever. And then they'd say, all right, time to get ready for church. And they'd do like the side part thing and I'd have a calyx sticking up and be rubbing sleep out of my eyes and a sideways clip-on tie and we'd go to First Baptist Merced and, uh, and I would do the Sunday school thing and then I'd do the church thing and then we would come home, right? And, and, and it was just something that we kind of did, that I kind of did. It was what was expected of me. And then as I got a little bit older into junior high and high school, it was just something that my friends did. So my parents, something my, my parents did and something that my friends did. And so a lot like Case, and I was like, well, my friends are here, so I could probably come here as well. And it makes a whole lot of sense. And I didn't really know any other way. And then kind of towards the end of my high school career, it was really when I got plugged in and, and decided that following Jesus was something that I needed to do on my own accord, something that I needed to take responsibility for, that it wasn't something for my parents. It wasn't something for my friends. This is something that I had to personally take responsibility for. But it continues to beg the question, why is it that we do church? What is the point of the church? Now, I personally believe that the church is the hope of the world for declaring the good news of Christ to the nations. That's my, that's my personal belief in what the church is for, to an incredibly broken world. And in order for the church to be the hope of the world, there are two very important things the church needs to be able to hold in tension, is the way I say it, with one another. Because the church is called to do two things. One, it's called to make disciples, right? So the disciple part, it's called to deepen people's faith, to help people's faith become deeper. And we do that in a number of different ways. We do that, uh, it's the whole reason we're launching into small groups because we believe one of the best ways for you to go deeper in your faith is to be able to sit with other people in your life who, who believe the same thing that you do to be able to sharpen one another. So we, we believe in small groups. We believe in, in service. And so we think in order to go deeper in your faith, you have to give of yourself in some way because the Bible talks about being able to serve the world. So we believe that's a very, very important piece as well. And we also believe that in order to grow deeper in your faith, you need to be able to share your faith with people as well. Because that's the other side that we have to hold in tension. There's a discipleship side, a deepening of our faith that we as a church are responsible for. But then on the other side of that, there is a sharing of your faith that we also have to hold in tension with one another. And when you get too far onto one side or the other, that creates problems. 
If you become too far over onto the sharing of your faith side, we would call that evangelism. If you get too far over into the evangelistic side of things, then oftentimes what happens is your church lacks depth. It lacks understanding. It lacks what uh, really just uh, sanctification, this idea of becoming holy, that you don't really understand what it is that you're doing or what it is that you're saying or what it is that you're getting into, but you share Jesus with people, which in itself is not a bad thing. But then if you go too far the other direction and all you're concerned with is discipleship and deepening your own personal faith, then all we have is a circle the wagons type of mentality and saying, we're growing deeper in our faith. What is it that we can do for ourselves rather than what it is, what is it that the church can do for other people? How are we serving those people outside of the church? And so when you get too far over into either of those camps, problems are created. And so the church needs to do our, we need to do our best as a church to be able to hold those two things in tension and say, we need to deepen our faith. And at the same time, as our faith becomes deeper, we need to be able to share that faith with other people. Our goal is to be right in the middle of those two things. And when it comes to this idea of like disciple, I'm not even, because the majority of you in here have probably been in church for the majority of your life, or at least have been in churches for, the, for, for, for a while now. And I'm not even blaming us for those of us who, who, if you have been a Christian for a long time, you do slide onto this side of things. You slide into the discipleship side of things. And the reason is because you're familiar with those things. Those things are important to you. You want to deepen your faith. Your friend group becomes those people who are inside the church. And so because of that, this becomes natural. This becomes easy. I have a friend, his name's Jordan, and uh, Jordan and I have been friends since uh, we were three years old. We, uh, we met at family camp at Camp Sugar Pine when, when we were three, and this is the way that my mom told me the conversation went. Jordan walked up to me, and this is very true of Jordan because since I've met him, he still hasn't stopped talking, uh, but Jordan walked up to me, and he said, hey, you want to be best friends? And I said, yep, and that was the end of the story. <laughs> Man, so good, and we, I mean, he was the best man in my wedding. I mean, it was awesome, right? And so Jordan, hey, wouldn't it be great if like as adults, we could just do that, right? We don't do that anymore, but making friends as an adult is so hard, or at least we think it's so hard. I want you to, I want to challenge you all this morning. If you hear nothing else this morning, walk up to a complete stranger and ask if you can be their best friend this week, okay? That's your goal for, no, but Jordan and I have been friends forever, and man, we, I mean, junior high went to the same schools, went to the same junior high, went to the same high school. We kept in touch. We, we, every single year we get together, me and him and a couple of our other buddies to continue to keep those relationships strong. And so when I get around Jordan, man, I, it is so easy for me to just kind of slip into what is natural with Jordan. I have a very deep relationship with Jordan just because I've spent a ton of time with him, Right. That relationship's a whole lot deeper than maybe people I've met in the last couple months. And that's what happens when we get too focused on this discipleship side of things over here, is it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing for you to go deeper in your faith. You're comfortable in that. In the same way that I'm comfortable with Jordan, I can share anything with him and know that one, he's a safe person for me to talk to, and two, that I can beat him up if he shares anything with it. So it's like both good, real, real good things. Regardless of that, that's, that's what's normal. 
That's a normal thing. So as a church, what we constantly have to fight against is staying towards the center from discipleship. And the way that we do that is we share our faith with people. And that's the whole idea of oikos. That's why we say, hey, there's already people in your life and they're not people that you've known for 30 plus years or anything like that, or maybe they are for some of you, but they're people who simply need to know who Jesus is. So make sure you're looking for those people and being intentional with those people. And we know that the state of the world is an issue, right? I mean, you look at what's gone down in our society over the course of the last couple of weeks, a couple mass shootings, a mass stabbing just a couple days ago. I mean, the state of the world isn't exactly something you write home to Ma and Pa about. It's an incredibly sad time for us to, to, to be alive, but this is honestly nothing new. Right? Uh, uh, society ever since the fall of man, ever since Cain killed Abel in the book of Genesis, that man, we have been a messed up group of people, a completely and totally messed up group of people. It's a big problem. It's a big problem because the state of society, because statistics tell us that fewer people than ever are coming to church on a regular basis. And largely, I think today, we need a refresher on what it looks like to talk about grace. We need a refresher on what it looks like to talk about the gospel, why it is we need grace, and how we got it all together. And we have to start with that understanding that man just has a massive problem. We, all men, have a massive problem. Also, women, too. I was talking to mankind, so women, if you thought you were getting off the hook today, you're not. Okay, men and women. <laughs> But mankind, we have just a massive problem. And that massive problem, like I said, starts all the way back in Genesis. And if we were to back up to the first chapter in the Bible even, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created both man and woman. And we recognize that, that God created man for some reason. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, or maybe if you're new to church, whatever it may be, maybe you haven't actually thought about this question. Because oftentimes when we look at the Bible, we look at it through human's eyes. The Bible is not about man. The Bible is about God. And so, but as you're thinking through this, you're like, wait, time out. Why is it that God would, would create man in the first place? What's the point of that? Because let's be real, if you were to, to read through the Bible and recognize that man's sinful state that we're gonna to get to in just a second, you would recognize that we're a whole lot of trouble. All we brought God was, was like headaches on a regular basis, right? I feel like we're like God's toddlers. Like regardless of what it is we do, it's going like whether we're just being loud and not necessarily sinful, I'm just like, oh my gosh, man, this is such a headache, right? Like you're not even doing anything wrong right now and I have to deal with you, right? I feel like honestly, like that's kind of where we're at, but why would God create man? What is the point of God creating? Well, Isaiah actually answers that question for us. Isaiah, it's 43, six and seven. It's not gonna be on the screen, but you can jot it down to look at it later. Isaiah 43, six and seven essentially tells us that God created us for his glory which is fascinating because if you look at the rest of creation and you look at Romans and you look at a couple other books in the Bible, you'll recognize that God created everything for his glory. And we are no different. God created each and every one of us for him to be able to be glorified. And so with that, 
The frustrating part is, is that we took that as God's creation. We're the pinnacle of God's creation. We're the best of God's creation. He says on the last day of creation that, man, we are not just good. We are very good. So he says all of those things. And then not two chapters after that, Adam and Eve decide they're going to mess the whole thing up for all of us. Thanks a lot, mostly Eve. Oh, the ladies started grumbling now. Okay, see, I told you you weren't getting off the hook today. No, but so then they messed the whole thing up. And this is where we have what's called the fall of man, where man is bad. Man is inherently bad, which leads us to our first point that no one is good apart from him. No one is good apart from him. Man, God made us in his image. Like the reason for an image is to image, is to, to see what it is that, you, what, that, that you're looking at. My son Cooper and I, we went hiking a couple days ago, right? And, and we, we went up to Yosemite, we did Verno, we did Damata Falls, and, and for some reason my shoulders are sore after hiking. I don't know how that works. Maybe it's an aging thing. Um, but we went and we hiked a whole bunch. But before we did, we got to Tunnel View, we sat down, put my arm around, and we snapped the picture, right? All, most of you have that picture somewhere hidden on your hard drives or printed out in a frame somewhere right? You know what it is that I'm talking about. The purpose of that image, the purpose of that picture is to remember that day so I can look at it and recognize that, oh, that is the image of what it is that we did. We are reflecting a true thing that we did. And so when we talk about us being made in the image of God, that's exactly what it is that we're talking about that we are reflecting exactly who it is that we were created in their image. And then it got messed up. Adam and Eve ate some fruit. And now we recognize that no one is good apart from him, which is a hard truth to swallow. It's a very difficult thing to swallow because if we had a debate in here and I said, okay, I want half of, I, I want you guys to decide if you think man is inherently good. There'd probably be quite a few people who raise their hand. You know what? I think men, people for the most part, man, they want, they want to do what's right. They want to do what's good. And we could have a good argument about it because on the other side, I would say, okay, raise your hand. You think man is inherently bad. And then another group of people would raise their hand and then there'd be a whole bunch of people because you don't want to participate in anything that would simply just sit on their hands and not raise their hands at all. And, and, and it's a hard pill to swallow for me to stand up here and say that no, man is inherently bad evil. And it's a hard pill to swallow, especially with having, with, with being a dad. Man, when I was, when, when, when Cooper was born, and man, if, if no one tell Cooper I talked about him this morning, because he's going to get a real big head about all of this. But when Cooper was born, right, dad for the first time, and I was so pumped. I mean, that kid popped out and he was like 21 and a half inches long. And I have no context if that's like a good height or a bad or length, not height. I didn't like stand him up against the wall as he is a newborn, like stay right there, hold your head up. Um, <laughs> and, and so I thought, oh man, this kid is so tall. He's gonna do great things. I had visions of grandeur, right? He's gonna go into the NBA. He's gonna be able to dunk on fools, but like dunk on fools in a nice way where it's like you dunk on fools and then like he pulls you up and he's like, hey man, God bless you. Let's get back to it, right? Like he was like a good kid who was going to just kill it, right? In the NBA, he was going to be so good. And then I thought about like, and he was perfect, like perfect shade of like pinkish purple goo, right? He was just perfect kid. 
And then I realized as Cooper began to get older, as Cooper began to uh, learn how to talk, as Cooper got a younger brother that he could assert his authority over, man, it became very clear that my son was not inherently good. In the same way that all of us are not inherently good. Man, we are selfish, selfish people, messed up people from the very beginning. Romans 3, 10 to 12 tells us that. It says there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And the reason for that is because of Adam and Eve's choice. And then because of that, we have two very different types of sin. There's one type of sin that's called imputed sin. Imputed sin. Imputed sin is Adam's, it's Adam's sin that is attributed to us as our own sin. So think of it this way. Uh, think about... Uh, anybody struggling with like that crud, that cough that's just like lingering around? Cool, none of you, just my entire household, awesome. Um, it's just like lingering, right? And I feel like we got like patient X in our house somewhere and we can't blame it on anybody. But my kids or, or four of my kids did nothing to deserve or earn that cough. Nothing. All that happened was one of our children brought that nasty sickness into our home. And because of that, exposed it to all of our other kids. And now all of them sound like they have fur balls 24 seven. <laughs> and that really is the idea of imputed sin. They didn't deserve it. It wasn't, it wasn't their sin specifically. It was somebody else's choice. It was Adam's choice to sin. And because of that, that sin, we are now guilty of it. That's called imputed sin. Now, the other type of sin is inherited sin. And this type of sin is Adam's sin nature is passed down from generation to generation. So in other words, because of the fact that Adam sinned, we all are also inclined to sin. So there's two very different types of sin. In other words, though, we are guilty of Adam's sin. And at the same time, we are also apt to sin because of Adam's sin. Really simply stated, we have no shot at being good at all. We are guilty numerous times over, which is why it makes it hard to recognize that no matter how much I want to believe that my babies were perfect little babies when they came out, they were also sinful. We were also sinful. Romans 3.23 tells us that very clearly. It tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. You cannot good deed your way into heaven. It's absolutely impossible. Every single one of us, regardless of who you are, how kind you were last week or how many people that you have helped on the side of the road or wherever, we're all still sinful creatures. I mean, I talked about the, the cough and the sickness that made its way into my house, right? Did you know in, in, uh, in 1520, one man, one man, brought smallpox into Mexico. One man brought, 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 didn't buy it, brought it to Mexico, where it caused three and a half million deaths. Three and a half million, can you imagine that guy? Like how terrible that guy felt? 
Like, my, my bad, guys. I should have sneezed into my elbow, right? Or another man who, he landed in England in 1348. You know that guy brought to England? The bubonic plague, the Black Death, the greatest killer that Great Britain has ever known. And in each of these cases, it was one person. But because of that one person's decisions, millions of people became infected and died. In Adam's case, in Eve's case, it's been billions of people who are infected and now can and will die both a physical and a spiritual death. And that's what the Bible talks about. So God had to deal with this. He didn't have to deal with it. God decided to deal with this. God decided to deal with this sin issue then that popped up in Genesis chapter three. So what did God do? Well, if you read your Old Testament, you'll recognize that because of our sin, God put the law into place. Because of our sin, God put the law into place. And I just lost some of you, so stick with me. The law, okay, the law is referring back to the Old Testament way of living. We're, we're talking about animal sacrifice, to keep us seen as holy before God. The law, which if you want to look at like the, man, the gritty ditty, gritty ditty, the gritty ditty details of the law, that's how you know it's really gritty. Man, look, read the book of Leviticus. Read the book of Leviticus and use toothpicks to keep your eyes open because you're like, what does any of this have to, what does any of this have to do with me? It has to do with the fact that God's initial redemptive plan, God recognizing that, hey, man is sinful and I wanna create a way for him to get to me, was to institute the law. And there's incredibly strict instructions on how to live. Things like that are as specific as, specific as Leviticus 19.19. 19. That it, it tells us that we shouldn't combine two different types of material and wear them. Right, so any of you today wearing a poly cotton blend, right? That would have been super sinful back then. You weren't allowed to do that. The Bible tells so that's specific of how to live according to the law. But God didn't just put the law into place. God raised up kings. God raised up kings to help direct people his way in the way that those people should go. But that didn't work. And not only kings, but he raised up judges to help direct people in the way that they should go. But those guys didn't work out. He raised up prophets to direct them in the way that they should go. And then those guys didn't work out. You see, after the fall of man, after Genesis chapter three, God put numerous systems in place for people to know who he is. He put the law into place. He put kings into place. He put the prophets into place. He put judges into place. And all of these things failed. Every single one of these things failed. And the question has to be why they failed. Why then would these things fail if God is the one who set them up? One, God knew they were gonna fail. But they failed because all of these things were based on man's ability to do good. And as we stated before, man is inherently bad. And so if it is up to us to get to God, if deeds are going to get us to God, we are going to fail over and over and over again. I can prove it to you. There's a really famous uh, experiment where these scientists, 
They take these kids, they don't take the kids. They scientists show these kids into a room. I'm sure their parents signed up with them in some way, I hope. But they take these kids into a room, right? And in the room, there is a marshmallow on a plate. And the scientists say, okay, all you have to do is not eat this one marshmallow. And when I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. And so then the scientists leave and they go behind that awkward window where they can watch everything and no one can see them. And it's being recorded, right? And these kids are just in agony. They're just staring at the marshmallow. Man, you want your kid to be quiet for a couple minutes, put a marshmallow on a plate and tell them not to eat it, right? But these kids are just staring at this marshmallow. And they're like, ah, uh, I don't know what to do. And man, I, a couple minutes goes by and then they just start popping the marshmallow into their mouth. They're like, I can't wait anymore. I can't wait anymore. And so they're doing that. I mean, it sounds like a lot like every time I try to go on a diet, right? I'm like, no, I can't do it. And so just forget about it, man. I'm just going to eat. And they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. Why? Because it was, uh, it was their responsibility to wait. It was their responsibility to do what it was these people told them to do or asked them to do. And man, if you just don't eat it, you'll get twice as much. No, we're going we're gonna to eat the marshmallow now. And that's where we are in our sin life as well. Each and every one of us are just, we are inherently bad. I'm not saying that, that you do bad things on a regular basis, but what bad means is essentially you are, you are imperfect. We have a perfect God and we are imperfect people. I think everybody can agree with the fact that you're not perfect in this room. And so when I talk about the idea of being bad, that's what I'm talking about, is it that our standard, regardless of how good we think we are, how much money we donate, how much of our time we give, how many small groups we're in, how many different versions of the Bible we've read, we've read whatever it is, we will never be up to God's standard. And so when I talk about the fact that we are inherently bad, that's what I'm talking about. This gap right here, regardless of how good you think you are. But none of these things, the law, the kings, the judges, the prophets, none of these things would work long-term. So God had to have another plan to redeem mankind. It was actually the plan that God had from the very beginning. He recognized that man couldn't do it on their own. So he decided that on our behalf, he would send his son. And a lot of people don't understand this part, that in Jesus, God sent, like God sent the perfect manifestation of the wall, of the law. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of the law. And a lot of people don't get that. You know, he's not just the law, he sent the perfect king also. So where the kings didn't work, he sent Jesus as the perfect king. And where the prophets didn't work, he sent Jesus as the perfect prophet. And where the judges didn't work, he sent the perfect judge. There seems to be a pervasive belief today that because Jesus came, we don't have to worry about living according to scripture anymore. And the Bible tells us that that's not true, that we can't just do whatever it is that we want. Because, oh, Jesus came, he's gonna take care of it. Jesus still loves me, it's all good. Well, that's true, Jesus still loves you. But Romans 3.31 tells us, do we then nullify the law by this faith? So in other words, do we, do we stop living according to what the Bible says because of this faith? 
Paul says, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. We do exactly what it is that God told us to do by having faith in Christ. And when we fall short of those things, God is there or Jesus is there to catch our slack. Jesus is there to redeem us every single day. So based on that, the law has been upheld through Christ and we should continue to live according to the truth. But it was just Jesus, it wasn't just Jesus being sent to earth that allows us to have a relationship with God. It wasn't just Jesus being sent to earth to be the perfect law, to be the perfect judge, to be the perfect king, to be the perfect prophet. It was Jesus being sent to earth and being obedient to death and death on a cross, being obedient to, to his burial, being obedient to his resurrection and eventual ascension. And because of that, our lives should look incredibly different. Romans 6, 14 says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. And the only reason that we are under grace is because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. So Jesus has taken all that sin, all of it, all of our imputed sin. He's taken all of our inherited sin and went to the cross with it. He's taken every single piece of it, the sin that we sinned yesterday, the sin that we're gonna sin today, and the sin that we're gonna sin tomorrow, all of it has been taken care of. John 3, 16. Man, we don't preach on this verse enough. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. And beyond that, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin, Jesus, for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Christ, as Christ was killed, and was obedient to death, we can now become good because Christ died that death on our behalf, on our behalf. And as we have that sin that was imputed to us from Adam, that we are guilty even by association of that sin, we've been given the, the black plague even though we didn't have a choice in the matter, Jesus has now stepped in on our behalf. And this is one of my favorite things about who Jesus is. One of my favorite things about who Jesus is, because if you look at the Bible, the whole thing's upside down and Jesus flips it that way. So we've just talked for the last few minutes about the idea of imputed sin, that man, we, we are guilty because somebody else did something for us. Somebody else created the fall of man. And for us, we're like, what? How come I'm guilty because of that? Well, the good news about the, uh, the, the idea of imputation is it doesn't just, it, it's not just imputed sin. Because when Christ came and he died on the cross and he conquered death and rose again on our behalf, he has now imputed righteousness on our behalf. And so it's not just the idea that, man, we are sinful people. It's the idea that we are sinful people, that sin was imputed on us. We've also have inherited sin and we choose to sin daily. But regardless of that, Christ in his goodness, God in his grace sent his son to impute his righteousness on us forever. So regardless of the fact that we are born bad, 
Jesus has interceded on our behalf and now we get to be good. And that's the message of the gospel. Because in the same way that we were counted as sinners because of someone else's choice and our own volition, we now get to spend eternity with Christ because of someone else's choice. We have imputed righteousness because of uh, imputed righteousness for those who believe. Now I'm gonna, we, we normally pray at the end of service and then you guys start shuffling around as soon as I say amen and you're getting your stuff and that sort of thing. I'm gonna ask you not to do that because we're gonna shift, shift things a little bit this morning. Because there's a group of people in here though who maybe have have never heard it laid out like this before, where we've stepped back and taken a look at what salvation actually looks like, about the reason why we need grace, the reason why Christ had to go and die and conquer death on our behalf. And for those of you who haven't said yes to Christ, I just want to take a second and, and, and I want you to think about where you stand. And as I do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share just real quickly uh, a, a story that's probably more fable now than truth. It's been warped and distorted. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard it. But there's a famous tightrope walker. And I don't know when. I imagine it's like the 19, early 1900s, right? I said the 1900s like it's a long time ago. The early 1900s. And he, he strung a cable all the way across Niagara Falls. And he decides, you know what? I'm going gonna, gonna to tightrope there and back. So he tightrope there and back. And people are cheering. They're like, yeah, you're the best, whatever. And he's like, all right. So now I'm going to take this wheelbarrow and I'm going to go there and back. And he says, hey, who thinks I can do this? And of course, the crowd's freaking out. They're like, oh, I believe you can, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. So he gets the wheelbarrow. He goes across. He comes back. And then everybody's like, we're just celebrating. And then when he gets back with the wheelbarrow, he's like, all right, who thinks that I could take somebody in this wheelbarrow across and back? And everybody's like, yeah, you could totally do it. You could totally do it. And then he's like, all right, volunteer. <laughs> silence, right? Absolute silence. And oftentimes, especially in Western American culture, Christianity, man, we've, we've somehow morphed this idea of being moral with being Christian. And those two things aren't the same because apart from Christ, there's no such thing as true morality. And so there's been a lot of people who maybe have been sitting on the sidelines saying, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe, you can do it. But then when it's time to get into the wheelbarrow, we're like, nah, we're, we're okay. We're okay. And so I want you to take a second to just think about your spiritual state and where you are with Christ. And stepping into a relationship with him that simply entails pursuing him regularly. It simply entails, entails opening up your Bible or a Bible and reading his word praying with him, praying to him, allowing the Holy Spirit to just intercede on your behalf and just being quiet long enough to hear the whispers of the Spirit to the Father, 
to pursue God regularly, serving those around you who need to be served, meeting with other people who, who know Jesus as well so you can become deeper in your faith, so you can become a better, stronger disciple of Christ. I think there's those of you in here who don't yet know that, and at the same time, I think there's others of you in here who think that you've gotten into that wheelbarrow, but you haven't yet started across the rope. And so I wanna ask you to consider that as well. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna ask you all to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're gonna pray. And here at, at First Baptist, uh, we, uh, we pray what's called the ABCs. And the ABCs are simply this. We, we want you to, if, if you agree, if you want to, to follow Christ wholeheartedly, we would say that, just pray, pray this along with me. We would say, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, I messed up. I, as a pastor, am messed up. I am sinful. We are all sinful. Scripture makes it very clear that none of us are good, not even one. So I admit that to you, Father. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm never gonna get to your standard. And beyond that, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross so I could have that imputed righteousness, so that I could have that righteousness that doesn't actually belong to me, that Christ gave it to me willingly and obediently. So I believe that he went and died on the cross on my behalf and see that I'm gonna choose to follow you every single day, Father. And that really is where the rubber meets the road. The difficult thing oftentimes is choosing to follow you every single day, regardless of how I feel, regardless of my emotional state, recognizing that, that following a leader is about obedience. It's not about a feeling. And so, Father, I, I choose to follow you every single day. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Don't get up and leave yet because I got another 30 minutes. I was just kidding. Um, if that was you and, and your desire was imputed righteousness, uh, we have these response cards. And I want you guys to just pull them out. They're the ones that were on all of your seats. I put them on your seats so you guys couldn't say, oh, we only had one for my whole family. No, you don't. You have one for each of you. And on this response card, we're asking a couple of things on the top. We want your first name, your last name, your email address. And there is something on here regardless of where you're at in your faith for you to, to say yes to. Because after salvation, after accepting Christ, after deciding to live your life according to his word, choosing to follow him, there's this other thing that we call sanctification. It should lead us through sanctification saying yes to Jesus. Now, sanctification, uh, it's, it's a theological whole, it's a word that just means to become holy. That every single day, sanctification is a process. You will never arrive at sanctification. It's one of like the worst <laughs> words because you're like, all right, I guess I'm still becoming sanctified and I'm never going to arrive, right? For those of you who are like type A goal setters, you never get to cross this off your list. But the idea of sanctification is the idea of deepening your faith and becoming a, a, a stronger disciple. And so on here, we have four different options. Now, for those of you who committed their life to Christ for the first time today, we would love it if you would just check that little box right there, that I committed my life to Christ for the first time today.
But then there's three other options on there. One of the, the, the next one says, I'm committing to sharing Jesus with someone from my Oikos. We've been working through Oikos for six weeks. There are people in your relational world still that, that need to know who Jesus is because they, are in, they, they have imputed sin in their lives just like you do. They have inherited a sin nature just like we all have. But you can do that. There's another one that says, I'm committing to joining a small group. Part of our discipleship process here is being in community with one another. And so if, if you haven't heard it over and over and over again, we're not gonna be a church that does small groups. We're gonna be a church of small groups. And so I'd highly encourage you to commit to joining a small group with us. And the last one down there says, I'm committing to serving our church. Now I know some of these things you guys have already done. And if that's the case, or you're continuing to do, and if that's the case, fine. But what we're gonna do with these cards in just a second, Kyle's gonna come out and he's gonna play one more worship song for us to end. And I want you to decide what it is that you want to commit to. And as the song is playing, I'd ask you to pass the cards to the aisles. We have ushers who are gonna pick them up. And this week, we are going to email you resources for whatever it is that you've committed to. You know, maybe for some of you, it's for, for the few in here who maybe accepted Christ for the first time in your life, we're gonna give you some resources, some ways for you to really understand what it is that you said yes to. Because the last thing I wanna do is pull out an emotional decision from you on Sunday that you regret tomorrow. So we wanna give you some resources for that. Maybe it's resources on, if you check the next one about your oikos, maybe it's some, some uh, resources on how to more effectively share your faith, how to write out a testimony, how to do those type of different things. Maybe it's the small group thing. We can, we can give you, we're gonna resource you with, man, when you can sign up for a small group, where you can sign up for a small group, why you can sign up for a small group, all of those things. And the last one, same thing with service. We just wanna resource you, church, because I don't think these things are optional and you're entitled to your own opinion. But I think in order for us to get serious about who God is, we need to begin the discipleship process of deepening our faith as well as sharing it with others. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this week's sermon. Music was by the band Broke for Free. And if you would like more information about our church, feel free to check out fbhanford.org. That's fbhanford.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.